Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? You good? Man, what an awesome time we're already having in church. And we are in our series called The Ten Commandments. And it has been really great. And we get to do commandments seven and eight today. But before we jump into it, I do wanna look on the other side of that screen and say a big hello and welcome all of you joining us online today. Or maybe you're joining us from um, the CCNO campus or one of our prison campuses or Belize Central Prison. We love you guys. Come on, church family. Can you welcome them today? We love you. We're proud of you. We're cheering for you. So good. Well, we are in our Ten Commandments series. It's been a great series, and next week's our last week, so don't miss it. You can't miss any of the ten. You got to have all ten of them. So make sure you go back and watch any that you've missed, and make sure you're here next week. But every week, we've started out talking about some of our state laws that maybe don't make a lot of sense, or maybe they do. I don't know. So let's look at some of the state laws today, and really what we've realized is God's laws are better. Sometimes man has problem making laws. And here's a few examples. So in Alabama, in Alabama, it's illegal to drive blindfolded. (laughs) You should not do that. You can get DWIs and DWBs in Alabama, driving while blindfolded. In Indiana, it is illegal to ride your horse above 10 miles per hour. Can you imagine the speed traps for that? I don't want to set that speed trap. You're waiting forever to actually get them with the radar gun. In New Jersey, it is illegal to wear a bulletproof vest while you're committing a crime. (laughs) So if you're going to shoot someone, do not wear a bulletproof vest while you do it because you'll go for a double felony on that one. In Maryland, it is not permitted to take a lion to the movies. I feel like that's a good one. Unless it's Lion King, and then I think they should be allowed. In New York, it is illegal to wear your slippers in public past 10 p.m. The cops are making all kinds of arrests at Walmart in New York. In Kentucky, it is illegal for a woman to marry the same man more than three times. You can marry your cousin, but you can't marry him four times. God's laws are better. God's laws are better. So we're in our Ten Commandments, and I want to say this about the Ten Commandments just to make sure we all understand that following the law, following the Ten Commandments doesn't save us. Only Jesus can do that. We are saved by grace. So you and I can't keep enough laws to end up in heaven with God. No, only by grace. Jesus had to die to pay for our sin because we can't keep all the law. So With that said, let me say this, though the grace of Jesus doesn't give us permission to break the laws of God. And Paul said it this way, grace is not a license to sin. In other words, it's because of the grace of Jesus that I want to keep his law. It's because of the grace of Jesus that I attempt to make sure that I know his instructions and keep those instructions. Jesus said this himself in Matthew chapter five, verses 17 through 19. He says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth that until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great 
in the kingdom of heaven. That line alone is enough for me to wanna keep God's law. That line, I wanna be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And part of that is making sure that I not only obey God's laws, but as Jesus said, making sure we're teaching them. And that's why we're in this series called the 10 Commandments. I wanna say this and give us a little filter as we think about the 10 Commandments, about God's law, God's word. I want us to have the right filter to see it through. And the first filter we need to understand is that God's laws aren't meant to restrict us, they're meant to protect us. And if you only see God's law as restrictive, you will balk against it. Especially if you have a personality like mine that just says, you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) I'll get to you later. It's not restrictive. It's meant to be protective. God wants to set a hedge of protection around our lives and he gives us instructions to follow because of the grace of Jesus so that we're protected in it. Also, God's laws doesn't take freedom from us. It's actually meant to give us freedom. It's meant to liberate us and set us in true freedom. You know, when, the, when, they de- when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he delivered them by grace, and then he gave them laws that were truly gonna set them free and help them live differently. They only knew how to live as slaves. But God wanted to show them a new way. And that's what the Ten Commandments were all about. And so as we tackle these Ten Commandments, I want us to have those filters today. And today I get to teach commandment number seven and commandment number eight. And so I'm gonna share those with you today, but I do wanna say, I'm just gonna briefly point them out. Then I wanna share something with you that I think can help us keep, actually keep the commandments, not just know them. And so commandment number seven, here it is. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. I feel like that's pretty clear. One time I heard a story about a a pastor that was giving a message out in a rural community. There was farmland all around and the dad and his son were sitting in that sermon, that message that Sunday. The message was actually on the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, the pastor said. Well, on the way home, the son looks at the dad and they're driving home and he says, dad, what is agricultury? And the dad thought a minute, like, how am I going to explain this one? And he thought a minute, and then he said, well, son, it basically means you should never plow another man's field. (laughs) Kyle told me that joke if you don't like it. (laughs) Hey, you give me these commandments, and that's what you get. You shall not commit adultery. Now to understand what God's trying to teach us in this moment, it's really important to understand two things. What does God say about marriage and what does God say about sex? And there's all kinds of scriptures that God gave us on those topics and how they work together. Now I don't have time to read all of those passages, but if I were to summarize all the verses that God talks about marriage and sex and what is the instruction around that for our lives, this is what I would say about it. That God created sex to be unique and an exclusive right and pleasure of one man and one woman who have entered into a lifetime marriage covenant with one another. You take all the verses and that's what you're gonna get out of it. That that's meant to be this, a man and a woman who have committed in covenant and now they have the exclusive right and pleasure of sexual intimacy. That's what it's talking about there. Now, once you understand that, then we get to this, you shall not commit adultery. So what's God saying there? That we don't step outside of that covenant in any way for sexual intimacy. That's what he's saying there. And so when it comes to this, I know what's in the room today. 
And I myself have been affected by this one commandment. Not in my marriage, but I grew up in a family that we had this happen and I know what that's like and the process of that and what happens in that. So even as I teach this today, can I just encourage you? I wanna say to you, there's hope. Please, as I teach this principle, I just want you to know there's hope in the room today. Jesus can redeem any story, any person, any failure of ours. That's the bottom line of it. I wanna encourage you today. So don't tune out now. Stay with me to the end of this. But, but that is what he means when God said, don't commit adultery. Now Jesus takes it a step further. I want you to hear this. Matthew chapter five, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, what's Jesus trying to say here? He's trying to say it doesn't just start with a spontaneous act. Something started before that. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go further away from that line to the point that I don't want you to even lust in your heart. It doesn't mean that you notice somebody else. That's not what that word is saying there. It's that you now look at them with desire. I don't just notice you, I desire you. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. And that's when he's saying, do not commit adultery. Now, every, every commandment, we've given you the principle behind the commandment. Here's the principle about this commandment, and it's this. It's the principle of intimacy. When I commit adultery, if I commit adultery, or, or you, however that looks, whether it's like Jesus said or in the act, the point is that I break intimacy with God the Father. I break intimacy with my spouse. I, I basically put up a barrier where we will never have the intimacy God planned for us. But I think there's some factors in it that we forget and that is I also break intimacy with my children. And sometimes we forget that one. And I walked through that one. And it did affect. Now again, God can redeem any story. And he's redeemed mine. He's redeemed my family. And we're all good. And we live before God knowing and hopeful that God can do anything in any situation. But this commandment is there for a reason. It's meant to be protective, that God wants to have you to have intimacy with him. He wants you to have intimacy with your spouse and your children and your family. He is setting a hedge of protection around your family. And that's why he gave us commandment number seven, which is thou shall not commit adultery. And then we get commandment number eight. Here it is, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. It says this, you shall not steal. In other words, don't take something that's not yours that you don't have permission or legal right to. That's what that's saying in that commandment. One time I, I heard a story about a man and he was feeling really guilty about some things he'd been doing. And so he went to confession and he got in the confession and he basically said, I need to confess, I've been stealing building supplies from the lumber yard that I've worked at for years. And the priest said to him, well, this is, a, this is serious. What have you taken? And the man said, well, I've taken enough to build a new home with, and I built a home for my son, and enough to build homes for both my daughters, and a lake cottage. And the, the priest said to the man, wow, this really is serious. I'm going to have to think of a serious penance for you. And the priest thought for a minute, and he said, have you ever done a prayer retreat? And the man said, no, Father, I haven't. But if you can get the plans, I can get the lumber. <laughs> <laughs> to steal, do not 
steal, the Bible says. Don't take something that you don't have permission to take. Now, you and I can sit in the room today or watch online, and, and we can think about the big things. Okay, don't go rob the bank today. You shouldn't do that. Don't go carjacking today and steal somebody's car or go on somebody's property and take their things or take somebody's money out of their account. We can think of the big things, but I just wonder how many little things that we've justified and overlooked that still are, are causing us to break the commandment, do not steal. For example, let me give a few examples because sometimes they're small and we just overlook them. Okay, if anybody's willing to confess that you go to the restaurant and ask for the water cup, but you don't put water in it. You go to the soda fountain to get the Sprite thinking nobody will notice. But listen, we notice water doesn't bubble like that. Everybody knows you just stole Sprite. <laughs> Yesterday, we went to the ice cream store and it's one of the, after the ball game, and it's one of those ones where you have to weigh your ice, you fill it all up and you, you, know, you have to weigh it to pay for it. You pay by the ounce. And I look down the line, we're waiting for our turn in line. And I look down and my children are eating the ice cream as fast as they can. We have not weighed that ice cream or paid for that ice cream. By the time we got up to the counter, I just told the lady, hey, you're gonna have to put them on the scale because <laughs> we just stole a bunch of ice cream from you. And it was little things that my, and even in telling my kids, trying to teach them that in that moment, it took a minute. Like, why is this so wrong? It's not that big of a deal. How many times do we, it's not that big of a deal. It's just something small. Or, or maybe it's on our taxes, We've lied on our taxes or we've just not paid our taxes. We've got around it. Even though Jesus did say, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Or maybe it's in our time. We're stealing time from our workplace. I've been guilty of this and you're sitting on the, the job and you're paid to do a specific job, but you're on social media or working on your classwork or doing some, anything but the work I've been paid to do. To be honest, in pharmaceutical sales, I had many conversations with my boss about this because they expected work from me, but there wasn't enough work, and I didn't, I was in the grapple. Do you want, I was either gonna have to steal from the company and pretend like I'm working, but I'm not working, or I was gonna have to lie. It eventually led me to the place where I thought, this can't go on, I have to do something about this. But uh, not at first, at first it's just normal, and we do this. Or maybe, just maybe, we're stealing from God. In fact, Malachi chapter three talks about this. The Bible tells us, you're, it basically said to God's people, you're under a curse. And they said, well, why? Why are we under a curse? And God answers them and says, because you're robbing me. You're stealing from me. And they said, well, how are we stealing from you? And he said, you're not returning the tithe. You're not turning, I've given you resource and income and you're not returning the 10% that I'm asking for that's mine back to the storehouse. Storehouse just represents the church that feeds you, the, the wor where you get fed the word, where you do community at. And so God tells them, you're stealing from me, but if you'll stop stealing, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not be able to contain it. God doesn't do it to restrict us or to take things from us. He's trying to get your life in a place that he can bless you, that he can pour blessing out on your family, on your income, on your resources, on your life, on your spirit. God wants to bless us, but he's given us a few commandments that he says, thou shall not. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. The principle of this is the principle of trust. The truth of stealing is that I just don't trust that God's gonna give it to me. I need to take it myself. In whatever area it might be, I don't trust God fully. It's not just about trusting each other, it's about trusting that God can do it for me. 
thou shalt not steal. Here's what I wanna say about this. When it comes to God's laws, when it comes to these 10 commandments and the instruction of God's laws, just knowing them isn't enough to help us keep them. It's part of it, but just knowing them is not gonna force me to keep them. There's actually a gift that I wanna spend the rest of the time sharing with you and showing it to you in the Bible that you may not even know God's given you. And the gift is this, a conscience. And the idea is God has given you a conscience so that when the, you get the knowledge of the word, there's this gift on the inside of you that helps you guide you to stay in the alignment with God's word and God's commands. Let me show it to you, the definition of conscience. It actually is, you can find it, I found this in Vine's Bible Dictionary and it said this, a conscience is this, a God-given innate ability placed inside each person that helps them sense right and wrong. The idea, it used this language, it's a co-knowledge. With God's word and the, on the outside of me and the, my conscience on the inside of me, they work together to bear witness together. So, so in other words, my conscience should bear witness to God's word. And God's word should bear witness to what my conscience is telling me. I want those two things to align. And the the Apostle Paul talked about the conscience all through the New Testament. And over and over, he would stand before people and say, I have a clear conscience. My conscience has informed me and guided me, and I know my conscience is clear. And when it comes to keeping God's law, just the knowledge of it isn't enough. We have to learn how to use this gift on the inside of us that God has given every single one of us called our conscience. And the truth is God's word will instruct us, but our conscience will guide us. It'll bear witness. And so here's the question I have for you today. Is your conscience trustworthy? Can you trust it? Is it helping you? Is it guiding you? Is it keeping you aligned to God's word? And that's how, what I had to ask myself. Is my conscience trustworthy? And the truth is it wasn't always, nor has yours been. And there'll be moments it's not. And, and I wanna say this, a trustworthy conscience is three things. I wanna show them to you. A trustworthy conscience is trained by the word of God. That's where I get my instruction and my truth. It's trained by the word of God. It's cleansed by the blood of Jesus because I will miss it. I will fail. I will break a commandment. I will break a law. I will break God's word. I will hurt you and you'll probably hurt me. So I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus and I'm powered by the Holy Spirit. I've been given the Holy Spirit to inform my conscience of when something is off and when I'm amiss from God's word and God's target in my life. And that's what this gift of a conscience is meant to be. In fact, the conscience reminds me of this. I just started thinking about it when I was praying about it this week. It reminds me of a smoke detector. You have a smoke detector in your house and the whole purpose of the smoke detector is to tell you when there's a, yeah, right? Or when your wife or husband can't cook, <laughs> whichever. And it's a lot like your conscience. The whole point of a smoke detector is to alert you and alarm you that something is amiss, that there's something detected that is dangerous, that is off, that shouldn't be there. It's meant to let you know when there's a potential for a fire, which could burn the whole house down. That's the purpose of a smoke detector. And it makes a little noise that, uh, let. oh, they told me it didn't work. There it goes. It makes a little noise, it goes off, it alarms you. That's what your conscience and my conscience are supposed to do. God placed it inside of me to go off 
if I've trained it by the word of God to let me know there's something around you that's off. I'm detecting something that's just not quite right. Let's deal with it. Let's investigate it. Let's acknowledge it. That's what our conscience is for. Do you know my prayer as a parent? You know what the one thing I want my kids to have besides the grace of Jesus? I want them to have a conscience. I can't be with them every second telling them no, no, no. Well, I do a pretty good job of it if you ask them. But... When I'm not there, you know what I want? I want this thing on the inside of them that's been trained by the word of God, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go off when they're starting to go the wrong direction. Trust me when I say we all want this, but we need it to be the right conscience. We want it to be trustworthy. And so let me show you. I just want to show you five places that the Bible talked about the conscience. There were five states that it could be in. Some of them good, some of them not good. And let me show them to you. Here's the first one. Number one, a convicted conscience. A convicted conscience. This is like the smoke detector that's sounding the alarm. The alarms are going off. It's a convicted conscience is letting you know something's off. You're doing something that's off or, or something about the situation is off. You need to go find out what's wrong and what's burning. That's what that convicted conscience. In fact, it says this in John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he, being the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I think sometimes we don't like the feeling of being convicted, but can I tell you it's a gift? It's a gift. You know what you don't want? to not feel convicted when you should. I don't ever wanna be in that place and we're about to talk about that place. But when you're convicted, when you feel, you just know something's off. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't have said that when I was, it doesn't have to be big things. I've been in conversations before and said a few things that maybe weren't uh, edifying about a person. And I've walked away only to have a convicted conscience that said, you should have not said that. That, that wasn't okay for you to say. And I've had to go back and make it right. I always want that. I, want, I know it's not the best feeling, and, and it won't be the best feeling for you, but what you do need to understand is it's a gift. It's a gift that the alarms are sounding in my conscience when I'm off from what God's word says, when I'm missing the path that he set before me. And that's what a convicted conscience will do. It'll sound the alarms to let you know. And so I want you to get sensitive to that. You got to lean into that. You know, too often secular counselors and, and psychologists will teach us how to just override that feeling without actually dealing with what the feeling's trying to tell us that's off. And so I just want to say it out loud. It's a gift. We have a convicted conscience to let us know when we're off and when we need to get back on track. Here's the second thing, the conscience that the Bible talks about. And it's number two, a corrupted conscience. A corrupted conscience. Titus chapter one, verse 15 says this. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Romans chapter one, verse 18 basically tells us, it's not in your notes, but it basically tells us you can corrupt your conscience by ignoring truth. It reminds me, have you ever had a smoke detector and the batteries are dying and you know what happens? It chirps at you every few seconds. Chirp. Chirp, chirp, chirp. And you just, you just get, you, does anybody else like me? I just get used to the sound. A, I'm not tall enough to reach the dang thing and change it. And neither is Kyle. 
<laughs> I feel so convicted right now. I wanted an example of what a convicted conscience feels like. No, I feel totally fine, actually. <laughs> you owe me. I owed you. I owed you. Okay. So clearly the batteries are still beeping at us in the smoke detector. Chirping and chirping and chirping. It's trying to tell us this isn't okay. You got to change them because eventually it's not even going to tell me when there's a fire in the house and that could be dangerous. The same with our conscience. Sometimes the corrupted consciousness, I just keep ignoring the sign. I keep ignoring the prompting. I keep ignoring the check on the inside of me. And I've learned to override it and just keep doing what I want to do. Saying what I want to say. Going where I want to go. Watching what I want to watch. Listening to what I want to listen to. I keep ignoring the beep on the inside of me that's trying to tell me there's danger. Trying to tell me that I'm off. That I've missed the path at some point. A corrupted conscience, unfortunately, just learns how to keep doing what you want to do, even with the thing beeping in the background. I've been there. I know what that's like. And then eventually it'll totter back to feeling convicted and I'll feel some guilt about it. And then I'll justify it and get right back where I was with the beeping in the background, able to do and keep moving just like I was. And so there's this place that we can find ourselves with a corrupted conscience. And it's a dangerous thing to hear truth, but ignore it. It just, it's just a dangerous thing to hear truth and choose to ignore it because we can't override those warnings and then become so corrupted over time that we just lose our ability to even be uh, alerted when something's off. And that's what leads to the third conscience I want to talk about. And it's this number three, a seared conscience, a seared conscience. First Timothy chapter four, verse two says this. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now it uses that description because in that time, different things that needed healed on a body, they would use a hot iron and brand it. And basically it would kill all the nerves. You could no longer feel anything in that spot. And it uses that to describe a seared conscience. And the idea there is that nothing's even happening anymore. You're not getting any alerts. It's like you took the battery out and it's never gonna work. You're never gonna hear a sound or an alarm go off because it's seared. You're, my conscience is seared. I've overridden it so many times that no matter what, I just can do whatever it is that's off from God's word and never feel anything with it and no conviction. And the, the thing about this is we can grieve the Holy Spirit to the point we can no longer hear him. I don't ever want to be in that place. And I don't want you to be in that place either. Now there's hope, but let me just share this because this was the scariest verse of all that I read when I was reading about the seared conscience. And it basically says this, Romans chapter one, verses 28 through 29, God says this, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, meaning to acknowledge the instruction and listen to the conscience on the inside of them that was alarming them, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do ought not what be done. I don't ever want to find myself in that place. I've been there, but I don't want to do it again. To the place where God just decides he wants to give me over to it. And so often we can fight so hard to live our own truth and do what we think it's right and keep doing Here's what I realized so often when you go hard after the thing you think you want and God gives you over to it, eventually you will wake up and realize I did not want that. 
That is not what I wanted. That was not what I thought it was. I promise you it happens in adultery. I promise it happens in stealing. It happens in all the other commandments that when we choose to violate them, eventually you'll get to the place where you go, that wasn't exactly what I wanted. But a seared conscience is the scariest of all because it's not even alarming me that something's off and eventually I won't even be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit as he tries to convict me and rearrange me. And so a seared conscience is not where we wanna be. Here's the fourth one, and it's this, a weak conscience the Bible talks about. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, and he's talking about it when he talks about um, meat offered as sacrifice to idols. Should you eat it? Should you not eat it? And he's talking about a weak conscience there. But basically, there's two ways a weak conscience can present itself. In one way, the weak conscience presents by being overly legalistic and making things sin that are not sin. And this is that legalistic attitude where I'm very critical and judgmental of myself and everybody else declaring they are sinning even though it's actually not in the Bible as sin. And we need to be really careful. This is why people don't wanna come to church because we've made things sin that are not sin. Now I'm not talking about things that are clearly sin. Please hear me. In a culture like today and all the things we're fighting today, truth is truth and you cannot change it. And we won't compromise it and we'll deliver it from this platform. But there is this moment that we have to be careful that we don't cross over. If I'm honest, I would tell you that when I first went from a Christian and started living for God, I had been so worldly that I went the reverse opposite. My heart, my intent was right, but I became legalistic and everything that I thought was sin that I shouldn't do, I thought nobody else should do it either. And I told them, I told them, don't do that, you can't do that. They're like, that's not even in the Bible. Well, I want to say this. It was okay. Maybe it was okay for me because my conscience and God was prompting me to not do things because it wasn't right for me. But it might be okay for you. Again, I'm not talking about clear things in the Bible. I'm talking about those gray areas. For example, old school church, if you've been in church for very long, meaning a long, long time ago, um, you would know that there was a point in some churches that playing cards was sin. You shouldn't play cards, right? And then, or, or certain card games. Then it just became certain card games that you couldn't play. Well, that's not in scripture, but there can be this place where my weak conscience makes something sin that's not. Or, or we get to the place that we judge everybody else by a standard God's not even holding them to. And we need to be really careful about that. That's a weak conscience. And so I had to train my conscience. But let me say this. If your conscience is letting you know that something doesn't feel right, you can trust that unless it's leading you towards sin and then that's not the Holy Spirit prompting your conscience. But if there's something that's not right for me, I wanna trust that. There's gonna be things I'm not gonna watch and not because it's wrong, it just isn't right for me. My conscience won't let me do that. Doesn't mean that it's sin for you, but in that moment, you gotta trust your conscience, but just don't become legalistic and make things sin that are not sin. And the second way we can have a weak conscience is when we are overly, our conscience overly accuses us and makes us feel unworthy before God. This might be the predominant one in the room where I feel like I have done too much, I have said too much, I've broken too many commandments to even be able to stand before God or be in the church. We get that, we hear that all the time. If I come in, lightning's gonna strike. (laughs) 
Well, no, that's an, a weak conscience. Now, if I have sin in my life, I need to repent and get it right before God. And once I do, I can't let my conscience be weak in the sense of over-accusing me, making me pay for something. By the way, you can't pay for your own sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. But seeming like I should pay for something that was 20 years ago. My conscience has to set me free. It's a weak conscience and I need to train it with the word of God, cleanse it with the blood of Jesus and let it be empowered by the Holy Spirit. A weak conscience can hold us back and honestly, it can shipwreck our faith. That's the exact words the Bible uses. Here's the fifth one, the final one, and this is the goal, by the way, and it's this, a clear conscience. I always forget to say, let me say, the, the weak conscience is like the, the smoke detector that goes off at everything in your house, like so overly sensitive, it just goes off, it goes off, it goes off, and there's no real danger and you can't find anything. That's what a weak conscience feels like. It's constantly going off. On, it's constantly alarming and you really can't even figure out why. There's th like, maybe it's just too close to the oven when Kyle's burning the pizza, but you don't know why, but that's a weak conscience. A clear conscience is a, it's a smoke detector that works, but it's not having to go off. Man, don't you want that? I so want that. I just want, it's gonna go off. There's gonna be, I'm going to break a commandment. I am going to fail, but I wanna get better and better at just being so sensitive that the littlest chirp from that thing on the inside of me realigns me quickly. And so a clear conscience is one that, hey, I'm good before God. I've got his word. I'm holding his word. I'm living his word in my life. And that's what Paul said over and over and over. I've got a clear conscience. He wasn't perfect but he was trained by the word of God and cleansed by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you're sitting here you today and you're just going, I don't have a clear conscience. Maybe you have a convicted conscience. Maybe it's corrupted conscience. Maybe you're to the point of a seared conscience or a weak conscience. I don't know what it is, but I wanna help you get to the place you can say, like Paul, I have a clear conscience before God. And so here's a few things you can do as we close. These are my final things for you. How do you get a clear conscience? First one is this, confess and forsake known sin. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop what? You know. There's just this moment that we have to come to grips with. Did God say this was okay or didn't he? And what am I gonna do with that? Hopefully, if you would like to have a clear conscience, I want you to confess and for, to God and forsake that sin, meaning turn the other way. Find God's instruction and align your life to it. And you watch as the peace and blessing of God overwhelm you. In fact, that was exactly what David had to do. I want to encourage you because the legacy of David himself in the Old Testament was that he was a man after God's own heart. The only problem with that is that David was a murderer. He broke the commandment of murder. He was an adulterer. He had had, he had, had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. Then he killed the husband. He was, that's where the murder came in. He killed the husband to cover it up. Then he lied about it. I promise you, David broke all 10 commandments. No doubt about it. Yet he was a man after God's own heart. How does that work? Because there was a moment that he got a clear conscience before God. He had to confess his sin before God, turn away from it, and do what God was asking him to do. And so I'm just encouraging you today, the first step to a clear conscience is to confess and forsake known sin. 
Here's the next one. Then we have to ask forgiveness of those we've wronged. If, if you can ask forgiveness, you should. There's something about that that will bring peace to your conscience. Let me say it this way. Ask forgiveness of those who you've wronged. And can I also say this? Forgive those that have wronged you. Your conscience is screaming at you. And you know I haven't done anything wrong. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. But your conscience is going off and you have anxiety and you have stress and you're overwhelmed and you're depressed. And the reason is you're holding on to something that God is ready to forgive of that other person. And the only way to have a clear conscience is to also release those that have wronged you. And I'm just telling you, I know that I know that I know that there is anxiety in the room and depression in the room and some of these things. And it's not the only reason, but I just wonder if your conscience is causing it. It's my conscience within me stirring to let me know that I have some steps to take to clear it. And when I do, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will overwhelm my mind, overwhelm my spirit and my heart. And I will, like Paul say, I am standing before God with a clear conscience, not because I'm perfect, but because I'm taking these steps. And then the next one is make it right if you can. Make it right if you can. If you stole my teal water cup, my Stanley water cup, I want you to give it back. Make it right. That just happened yesterday. It wasn't you guys. It was Bowling Green. Those Bowling Green people. <laughs> but Lord, would you give them diarrhea and an upset conscience? <laughs> and then they can keep the cup. <laughs> hmm. Make it right if you can. Like I said, there's been moments that I've said things I should not have said. Nothing has felt better than to humble myself, go before the person that maybe I said it about, or maybe it was just I said something about somebody else to someone else, and I had to go to the to someone else and say, you know what, that was wrong for me to say it like that about that person. Would you forget? I take that back. And I clear my conscience because I go make right what I can make right. If you can make it right, make it right. Here's the next one have godly voices speaking into your life. Your conscience will be corrupted at one moment in your life, possibly seared. And if you don't have a godly voice that you've given permission to speak into you, you could stay on the wrong path. Take David, for example. David would have never turned ways back towards God. He would have continued down the path of breaking every command that was set in front of him had not a godly voice came to him by a man by the man, name of Nathan came to David and he said, David, and he told him a little riddle about a guy that was stealing things and taking things that didn't belong to him. And he said, what should be done to this man, David? And David says, he better pay for that. That is not okay. Nathan looks at David and says, Ataish, which means you are that man. And Nathan looked David in the eye and said, bro, you're off and you need to get it right, and you need to confess your sin, and you gotta get it right before God. There was this moment, and it changed everything for David, and that's when David wrote the Psalm, search me, O God, and know if there's anything offensive in me, and let me deal with it, I repent of my sin. And he got a clear conscience before God, why? Because there was a godly voice he let speak into his life. Please, please stop silencing the godly voices that are trying to encourage you. They're not against you, they're for you. It feels like they're against you, they're not against you, they're for your life. 
They're for your legacy. And may I stir a boldness within the house today. If I see that your life is off, I need to have the boldness because I love you and because I want to protect you to come tell you. Now, I'm not talking about just what I think you should be doing and you're not doing it and it's not sin. At that moment, if somebody comes to me and they try to give me advice for my life and I know it's not in the counsel of God, I can just say to them, I am clear. I have a clear conscience before God. Okay, that's okay. But if I know that I'm off and they're trying to instruct me and realign me and be the voice of reason into my conscience, then I have to give them permission and I need to be bold enough to do it for somebody else. You never know. Had Nathan not stopped David, where would we be? What happens next? There's something about that, that we need the godly voices speaking into our life. Here's the next one we have to do to clear our conscience, and that's this. We've got to study and obey the word of God. Remember, our conscience, we, all of us have one. Don't let it be trained by the world. Don't watch all the, the news shows and the talk shows and let everybody just tell you what your conscience should be feeling or not feeling. No, no, no. Let God's word train your conscience so that you can trust it. And that's why I come to church on Sundays. Besides, I have to, kind of. I, I also come because I'm training my conscience. And there's plenty of times I could sit and think to myself, well, that message, I didn't really need that today. But here's the catch. It was training my conscience. And there's gonna be a day that I do need that word. And in that moment, I want the alarms of my conscience to go off and remind me about the word that I was trained with on that day. It's why I listen to the word. It's why I open my Bible every morning and read the Bible, not just to get brownie points with God because God likes me more if I do it. I'm training my conscience for that day because I'm gonna be tempted to go amiss, to kill a few people, and I need the word of God on the inside of me saying, thou shalt not murder today. (laughs) Study and obey the word of God. And here's the final one. I'll close with this. Respond quickly to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When the alarm sounds, don't think, I'll do something about it tomorrow. I'll stop that next week. I'll forgive them in a month. I'll apologize at some point. No, no, no. When you feel the conviction, remember, your conscience is on the line. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on me, I need to deal with it promptly to get myself back lined up with my holy God and his instruction for my life. Don't delay doing what you know is stirring on the inside of you to do. Don't delay it. God's got a plan in that and his blessing can be on that. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I do not have a clear conscience. Maybe it's convicted right now. Remember, that's a good thing. That means it's still working. Maybe it's corrupted. You've just kind of been overriding and ignoring and doing the things in spite of. Maybe it's seared. Maybe it's weak. I I don't know for sure, but I want to share this verse with you. It's so encouraging because the first step in cleansing my conscience is letting the blood of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, redeem it. Here's what Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. To be honest, the enemy would like nothing more. He's down with the seared conscience, for sure. He's actually still okay with your convicted conscience. 
and your weak conscience as long as you don't realize that the blood of Jesus can set you free in an instant. And that's how it works. You need to take these steps, but just know the blood of Jesus is more powerful than anything else and can set me free in an instant. And that's what it was designed to do. A trustworthy conscience is trained by the word of God, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit. And my hope is that we could say what Paul said in Acts 24, 16. Not because he was perfect, not because you're perfect and not because I am and not because we will never break these commandments, but because we've learned how to clear our conscience before God. And Paul said this, Acts 24, 16, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and before man, and God will do it. Would you pray with me? I wanna speak to those of us in the room that maybe you'd say you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never committed or surrendered to him. That is the first step in a clear, con in a trustworthy conscience. It needs to be led by Jesus himself and in relationship with him. And I wanna give you that opportunity today. Man, his grace is abundant. He has been pursuing you. He's ready to, for you to surrender to him, to take over and bring blessing to your life and bring direction to your life. Or maybe you were serving Jesus, but you've long walked away. You've been doing your own thing and you were just by word of mouth serving the Lord, but not by action. And you wanna come back to him today. Whatever that is for you, just all around the room while we're praying, just lift your hand. I'm gonna pray a blessing over you. I'm gonna pray a prayer with you. You can lift your hand towards heaven and then I want you to pray this in your heart. Today, Jesus, I choose you. I give you my life, I repent of my sin, and I surrender to you now. I receive your gift of salvation. And now fill me with your spirit and show me how to follow you for the rest of my days. Today I choose you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Now we're gonna continue to pray right where you are. I saw hands all over the room, so proud of you, so proud of you. But now all around the room, I just wanna encourage, and this is gonna be me, if you just say, man, I just, I need a clear conscience today. Maybe it was weak or, or convicted or corrupt. I don't know what it is, but you just say, today is my day to clear my conscience before God. You just lift your hand. I'm gonna pray a prayer for us all over the room. I'm gonna pray this prayer and we're gonna all agree to it. God, I want you to clear my conscience today. And so Father, here we are, your sons and your daughters. You know our hearts. I pray right now that you would cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. We repent and forsake every sin, big and small, whatever it is, if it was off from your word and your ways for our life, we repent of it now and we turn our eyes towards you, Jesus. I pray right now you would break every stronghold in the room, God. Anything that has kept us cycling in this manner of sin, anything that has caused our conscience to not alert us, anything that has caused us to justify our sin, I pray you would break every stronghold on us right now in Jesus' name. Give us your truth to set us free today, God. And then I pray we could let go of those that have hurt us. I pray forgiveness would abound in this room, that it would just go in and through and forth each one of our hearts. And I pray you would bring to mind the people we need to forgive, the people we need to let go of, the people we need our conscience cleared from. I pray you would do it now in Jesus' name. And then God, I pray you would put that compass on the inside of us. If we turn to the left or the right, 
Away from your word, alert us, Holy Spirit. We ask you to convict us, to get us back on the path that you set before us. I pray a blessing upon this room and every person in it and the families that are represented. I pray those that have been wounded by adultery or stealing or any of the other commands that have been broken against us or in our families, I pray right now that hope would rise and healing would come because you are a God that can redeem any and every situation and story. And now we turn it over to you. Do what only you can do with it now. In Jesus' name we ask. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.